You guys remember playing follow the leader as a kid? You guys, you remember doing that? Maybe as you, as you got older, I remember even as a, like in middle school, like we had graduated to like uh, mountain bikes, you know, and it'd be somewhat dangerous maneuvers through a certain trail, right? And you'd, one person would do it and then you'd wait to see if the next guy could, you know, would, would attempt like the big move or if they were gonna wreck or, but uh, it's, it's a fun game. But I, I was thinking this week, what makes that a fun game? You know, there's a challenge, right? Are you able to follow the leader? Um, there's, the, there's the challenge, if you're the leader, can you be the best, right? Can, can you go somewhere where no one can follow? That's what we were trying to do when we were on our mountain bikes as kids. Um, you know, when the kids are, are younger, it's more about participation, right? Everybody gets a turn, you lead, I'll lead, we'll all lead, we'll, uh, we're, uh, you know, training, maybe even training as young, young kids to take the initiative, to do something, to encourage participation. Uh, but what, what makes a great leader? What, what would you say makes a great leader? Maybe a brilliant mind? Um, maybe the ability to inspire? Uh, does a leader have to have great vision for the future? Um, what, what makes a great leader? Maybe the personality, you gotta have some sort of personality that makes people like drawn to you. Or maybe it's a combination of all those things. Well, as, I, as we get into this passage in First Peter this morning, we'll see that biblical leadership is sometimes a lot different than what we would look for in a great leader today. Um, we mentioned, or I mentioned last week, that living as a Christian is countercultural. And um, exemplifying biblical leadership, I would say, is also countercultural. Um, when Paul and Silas, they, as, they, as they traveled from city to city, they arrived in Thessalonica, it's one of the places where um, they, were, they were grabbed and they were drugged to the authorities of the city. The accusation was. Uh, these are the men who have turned the world upside down. People were taking note of what Paul and Silas were doing. Of course, they were following Jesus' example. And Jesus actually, he had some instruction to his disciples. So just stay in 1 Peter chapter 5, but I'm going to read a couple verses from Matthew chapter 20. Um, Jesus said to his disciples, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. He's talking about their, their leaders. They like to have this, they, they like the authority and the, the power that it gave them. And so they, they acted like they were important. But Jesus' instruction says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was a great leader. You know, not too many people that lived 2,000 years ago have, still have followers today. But here we are because we're following Jesus. Jesus was a great leader, but he didn't lord it over. And he told his disciples, we're not going to lord our, our authority or our, our uh, leadership over them, but we are going to serve. And so this morning when we look into 1 Peter chapter 5, um, Peter is talking to elders. And this was, um, this was the, 
This is the leadership that God ordained for the church, the New Testament church, but also still for our church today. So before we, before we look at uh, what Peter has to say, let's just give a little background on the elders. Um, one thing that you'll notice when you read about elders in the New Testament is it's almost always plural. There's never an elder at a church. There's always a plurality of leadership. And uh, for example, when Paul and Barnabas were in uh, Lystra, it says in Acts chapter 14, when they had appointed elders for them in every church. So each church had its own set of elders. With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So um, when we look, when you read about the elders in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem, it's plural, the elders in Jerusalem, the elders in the church in Ephesus. Uh, Titus was instructed by Paul uh, to go across the island of Crete and in every town appoint elders for those churches. And so of course here in Peter, First Peter chapter five, we'll see Peter uh, is using the plural as well. Uh, he's talking to the elders that are there. We also see that these elders are appointed or, appointed or ordained. And uh, when we look at the, there's usually in your translation, you'll, if your translation has, uh, won't say appointed everywhere, might say appointed in one verse, might say ordained in another verse. Um, when, when Paul told Titus to put uh, elders in each town on the island of Crete, it just says, Timothy, or excuse me, Titus, put in place elders in each city. Um, in Acts, when it talks about them ordaining elders, it indicates um, that they were appointed by vote. So there was a vote to choose who was gonna be the elders. And that's what we do here at the House of Prayer. We, through prayer and uh, consideration, uh, a, a, a man will be chosen as an elder candidate, and then we bring that person to the church and say, this is someone we think would be a good addition to our elder board, and we would have a vote on that. So let me just mention, as we, as we talk about this this morning, let me mention who our elders are here at the House of Prayer. We have Paul Holliday, uh, Tom Langford, Don McAllister, Alan Young, Bob Ayers, Mike Holman, and Larry Schreiner. These are the elders here at House of Prayer. We've also got a great group of deacons uh, that are having a deacons meeting after the service. Don't forget that, guys. I know that you're um, ready to go. Elders are to uh, provide spiritual leadership for the church, and the deacons were appointed to serve. And so one of the, uh, I got the report from Elijah's Closet, one of the ministries, um, when deacons were appointed in the New Testament, the first ministry they had was to take care of the widows who were being overlooked during the food distribution. And I know we did a, a lot of food last month in, in the um, closet, or excuse me, in the cottage. Eliza's closet uh, served 262 people uh, that came in and got clothes and supplies. Uh, three new families uh, came, so it was, a, it was a good month there for Elijah's closet. But we have, these are our elders that we have um, appointed here for the house of prayer. And I'm just gonna read a couple of passages that talk about um, w what an elder should look like and a couple of uh, instructions on what they do. These are familiar passages from Titus and then from Timothy, but Titus 1, 5, 9. And again, we're, we're getting to 1 Peter, but just kind of a basis. Who are these elders that Peter's talking about? Um, and this, these is, this is Paul's instructions to Titus. It says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you may put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. 
If anyone, and now here's the, here's the criteria. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, now we went from elder to overseer. It's actually two different Greek words, um, but both basically mean the, mean the same thing. These are guys that are to oversee the, well, the spiritual well-being of the church. The main difference between the two is the elder has a connotation of older age and overseer doesn't really have any reference to age at all, but an elder would be uh, someone who is older, hence elder. Uh, but anyways, elder or overseer, uh, two different words describing the, the, same, uh, the same role. Um, so as God's steward, these guys must be above reproach. Must, but, must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy worthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Those are Paul's instructions to Titus as he appointed elders. Uh, to Timothy, these are, these are Paul's very similar instructions. He says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. More, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil." All right, so we're not talking about perfect people here, but we are talking about godly men, able to teach, able to care for the well-being of the church, for our well-being. Uh, so we could say a lot more, but that's, that's sort of the, just a quick foundation of, of, of what an elder looks like and what an elder does. He cares for the church, uh, someone who can teach, someone who can guide, someone who can instruct. So. Um, let's read First uh, Peter uh, chapter 5, a couple verses together. So I exhort the elders among you, Peter says, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Heavenly Father, help us to understand uh, what, what your word says this morning. Help us to know how that applies to our lives. Help us to, um, to, to take these thoughts and these truths and internalize them and uh, allow them to play out as we interact this, this week. And Lord, we just ask for... Uh, your blessing on this service, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, now, you might say, well, look, Pastor Jeff, I'm not an elder. Pastor Jeff, I don't have any desire to be an elder. 
Um, the, the scripture's clear both in Titus and in Timothy that the elders were to be a man, a husband of one wife. Uh, so you say, like, what, do I even need to be here? You know, maybe I just need these seven guys to come up front and sit in the front row and we'll just have... What Paul, is, what Paul is instructing us here, one, it doesn't matter who you are, you should know what your leaders should look like. So we have, we have instructions, and, and as, a, as a follower of Christ, you have the ability to, to, to discern and make decisions. You have um, the responsibility to appoint leaders when it comes time to appoint uh, more elders. But also, these principles that we're gonna look at this morning are applicable in each one of our lives. Uh, we're all have, we all have the ability, you may or may not be a leader, but we all have the ability to lead someone. And you might say, oh no, I'm too shy, I'm too quiet, I'm too... If you have, uh, if you have had kids, your responsibility is to lead those kids. If you have, if you have uh, friends, if you have family, if you have coworkers, uh, you have the ability to lead and to influence people that are around you. So whether you are or are not, we all have the ability to lead, we all have the ability to influence, and these principles we're looking at this morning are helpful for each one of us. So uh, verse, verse one, Peter is exhorting the elders, specifically to the elders. Uh, who are the elders? They are church leaders. So by application, we could say to the leaders this morning, uh, you say, I'm not a leader, you have the ability to lead. You can make that, that decision to be an example, to set an example for someone with you. So this is who put Peter's writing to, specifically to the elders though. Peter identifies himself as a fellow elder, and we talked about this before. Peter never claimed to be uh, the most preeminent elder. He never claimed to be the number one guy, but he was just one of the church leaders. Um, I love that he says that he is a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter constantly is taking us back that Jesus is coming again. Have we been talking about that a bunch lately? Because Peter keeps reminding us that Jesus is coming. We sang about that this morning, just beautiful songs. Jesus is coming again. Peter said, I saw him suffer and I know that he is going to return in glory and I am excited that I will get to partake, about, partake in that with him. So Peter's always got one eye on the future. He's aware of what's going on now, which is why he's giving instructions to the leaders, but he's got an, an eye to the future that he will be with Christ again. And he is excited about that. But he's got these instructions for the elders. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So this word shepherd, uh, this might seem obvious, but I'm, I, I, this, was, this is helpful for me. Shepherd is a, both a noun or a title, but it is also a verb or an action. So um, sometimes we call on elders or pastors shepherds, and there's, there's a reason for that. We're gonna comment on that in a minute. But it's not just a title, it is an action that we take. And so Peter's instruction, this here is a verb. He says, you need to lead, you need to tend the flock, you need to care for the people. 
He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So uh, Peter doesn't say that an elder is responsible for everyone, but they are responsible for the people of God that meet with them on a regular basis. And so our elders are responsible for the people of House of Prayer, not for the people of the variety of other churches that we have in town. Uh, so this idea of being a elder is not a, a title that, that you are to try to achieve, but it is, um, when we talk about shepherding, we're not like, man, if only I could be a shepherd. The call here is to action. It is a verb. And so a shepherd would take care of the sheep. And of course, all through the scriptures, we read about uh, shepherding. And uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus said to his disciples, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. We see the illustrations over and over again, and a shepherd would be responsible for caring for the sheep, for watching out for predators, uh, to fend them off if they were attacking, but also to find good pasture, to find clean water, to uh, take care when they were hurting or when they were uh, straying, when they were going their own way. The shepherd had great responsibility, not just a title, but it's a responsibility. Um, Jesus looked at, the, when he looked out at the people, he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And I know we mentioned this verse a few weeks ago, but Jesus said, uh, or uh, Matthew said, when Jesus saw the crowds, Matthew 9, 36, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, I saw a picture of a sheep that had gone without a shepherd for a long time. Uh, maybe you guys have seen this. This is, I think this picture is probably five or six years old, but let me introduce you to Chris. This fellow says, they named him Chris. He was found wandering around in Australia, and they estimated that he had not been shorn in six years. He was carrying, I think they said, almost 90 pounds of fleece. Like if they hadn't found him, uh, cleaned him up and, and, and cut the wool off, he probably, he probably would have died. There's a sheep without a shepherd. Does he look good? No, he, he, was, he was barely walking. He was, um, I don't know how he even bent over to eat grass. Maybe he was eating shrubs, I don't know. But... As, as sheep, we have a need to be shepherded. And if you're here this morning, you, you recognize the importance of gathering together, to not being out there on your own um, and just saying, no, I don't really need the church. I'm fine on my own. It's just me, Jesus, and my Bible. He's gone. But there's a sheep without a shepherd. We, we need each other. And, and, and the, the local church provides structure that we'll see that... that that uh, Paul instructed to Timothy, Paul instructed to Titus, churches need shepherds to help care for the sheep that gathered there. And so when we say that, this, that we have organized church and people are like, I don't like organized church, the structure and there's abuse there and there's people taking advantage, it is the biblical structure that people would gather and study and fellowship together under leadership of elders or the shepherds who are responsible for the care of the sheep. So uh, let's not be sheep without a shepherd. Let's be part of a local church. And the elders have the responsibility for the spiritual health of the flock in the way that a shepherd would tend to the physical well-being of his sheep. 
So Ephesians chapter four uh, says that um, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. And this word pastor is, would be translated, could also be translated as the word for shepherd. So we use the, the, the word pastor, but the Greek would be the word shepherd. And what were they there for? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ. That's what our elders are called to do. As leaders, as a Sunday school teacher, as a small group leader, as a, as a youth worker, as a children's worker, while not given the title of elder, it's the same type of responsibility to care for the well-being of those that you've been entrusted to. Uh, Jesus, when, he, when uh, he met with Peter after, after the crucifixion, Jesus was buried, he rose from the dead. Uh, Jesus uh, met the disciples by the shore and he called Peter aside and three times he told him, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. P he was giving these instructions to Peter to say, look, I'm not gonna be here, but you can care for my people. So uh, Peter says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So when, when uh, sometimes I'll say, I'll make reference to us here as the body of Christ who gathers at House of Prayer because we are part of a larger flock. We are part of a larger body. We're all God's sheep. And so the elders are appointed to shepherd the sheep that are, are meeting here. And so the neat thing about elders is while they are given the responsibility of shepherd, shepherding, they're also sheep who need a shepherd. And so they care for each other and ultimately Jesus is the chief shepherd we'll see in a few moments. So the, the, the elders or leaders are to exercise oversight um, under the authority of scripture to, to oversee what goes on, who's teaching, what, group, what groups do we have, what ministries are operating, who's leading those ministries, what's the curriculum in those ministries, um, what are the, the needs among the people? Are they being cared for? And uh, there's, there's three statements that Peter makes, uh, contrasting statements to help us understand what that's to look like. Uh, in verse three he says, or excuse me, I guess we're still in verse two. Not under compulsion, so someone should be an elder, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. You know, when we read through the, the Old Testament, don't we see a lot of uh, people that God used powerfully, but they needed some convincing to do what God wanted them to do? You know, think about Moses when he was called. He said, no, I can't do it, Lord. I don't speak so well. My brother would be better. Why don't you get Aaron to do it, right? He had a lot of excuses. Now, God still used him, but he had to be convinced to take that role as the leader of people of Israel. Gideon was similar. He, you know, he was like, I don't think I can do it. Let me, let, me, let me put out this fleece. And so God confirmed through the fleece that, yeah, Gideon was to, was to lead, lead the people. It wasn't good enough for Gideon, was it? was it either? So he put the fleece out again, and he wanted the opposite to happen this time. Gideon had to be convinced. Jonah had to spend three nights in the belly of a well before he would be convinced, okay, God, I'll do what you want me to do. That's not the calling of the elder. It says uh, someone should exercise oversight not out of compulsion, not because uh, I've got your arm twisted behind your back. Come on, I really need you to do this. 
We, you know, we, you, you, you would be great. Well, I don't know. Yeah, but come on, but you're, you know, you've, you've been a businessman or you've done this and you've done... It should not be out of compulsion, but willingly. It shouldn't be pressured to serve. It's got to be voluntarily. It can't be forced upon someone. It actually said, we looked at in 1 Timothy chapter 3, that if someone desires uh, the, or aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. That would be a noble thing if you think, man, I would love to have that role one day. It displays a heart that's willing to care for, for God's people and to serve God's people. Uh, there's got to be that desire. Jesus told his disciples, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if the heart is not in it, uh, then that's not, it might not be the, the best role for you. It's got to be from a willing spirit. But notice it also says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Uh, your translations say maybe not for dishonest gain or not for greedy reasons, not for, reason, not for what you can get out of it. And I thought, well, who would do that anyways? And, you know, especially when I'm thinking about Peter writing, he wasn't writing to pastors who were, you know, in, in our culture today, we have vocational pastors, pastors who are paid to be at the church and to uh, take care of the, the well-being of the church. And that wasn't so much... Um, it wasn't so much the way it was when Peter wrote, but there is, uh, there could be much to be gained, right? You could, you could want to just hold the position. You could want to just have people look at you and say, oh, he's, I think he's one of the elders. You laugh, but there, you know, some people like to have a title. Uh, some people like the authority. Oh, I get to make decisions. Yeah, sign me up for that. I've got a few thoughts, right? And so some people have this desire to be in control. These are things for personal gain that someone could want to be an elder. But this says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Uh, someone might say, oh, I'd like the influence. I'd like the leverage that would come with that position. But the heart of the elder has to be to serve. And, and next week, we'll look at this idea of humility for those who would serve the Lord. Uh, so this idea that you would gain something out of a position of leadership, oh, I'll, I'll be a small group leader. I just, I just love the attention that I get. I just love it when, when I've got uh, people looking up to me. Wrong reasons to get involved. Um, we, we've got to do it because we are eager to serve. And I, I love, as you read through some of Paul's writing, he says, uh, he, he mentions the things that he is eager to do. In, in Romans, he says he was eager to preach the gospel. In Galatians, he said he was eager to remember the poor. Um, he was eager to see the people in the Thessalonica face to face. In Philippians, he said he was eager to honor Christ in life and in death. There was an excitement, an eagerness to serve. Paul was just ready to do what God had him to do. So, uh, question then, well, what if I have a responsibility in the church? I'm not, a, maybe for our elders, or maybe you say, well, I'm not an elder, but I do have responsibilities. I do serve in the nursery, or I do um, help with the hospitality. I do um, work with the kids. I do lead this Bible study. What if I'm not doing that willingly? What if I don't have an eagerness to do that? You know, what if I'm just not feeling it anymore? Well, uh, Sarah reminds me and others often that our feelings are indicators, not dictators. 
So if you're feeling something, it's indicating you got something going on that you might not might want to look at, but it doesn't dictate who we are or what we should do. Um, but I'll, I will say this, just because you don't feel like reading your Bible doesn't mean you should just leave it on the shelf, right? Just because you say, well, I don't, Lord loves a cheerful giver and I'm just kind of grumpy this morning. I guess we can go out to dinner this week. Uh, you know, that's, that's not the instruction. The instructions in scripture is not to do what you feel, but it is to get your feelings right, like to align yourself with the truth of God's word. So sometimes we need an attitude adjustment. We need to confess our attitudes to the Lord. And, uh, you know, I told you a couple weeks ago, I, just, I, I said to Sarah, look, I'm just not feeling hospitable was the bottom line. I knew it was wrong, but I just had to deal with it. So the, the, the result wasn't that we shut our home down. The result was I had to get right with God. And so sometimes we need to work on our attitudes, but this, the instructions are here for an elder, not under compulsion, but willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And then here in verse three, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Uh, you know, some people just want to have control. They want to be able to manipulate. They want to play, have things play their way. They want things to go the way that they want it to go. And, but this, the instruction is that elders should follow the example of Christ. Jesus was the good shepherd who came not to rule and reign and domineer in the sense that he had all of the power of heaven he had at his disposal. But he didn't come, you know, striking people dead when they didn't obey him and commanding you must obey and if you don't, then angels' armies are coming after you. He came with a servant's heart. He came and set the example by serving. He didn't rule over, but he, um, he served. He set the example of sacrifice. And this was the example to, that we are to imitate. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so for our elders here t this morning, I say to you, you need to imitate Christ because as a church, we are going to imitate you as you imitate Christ. And for anyone, moms and dads, imitate Christ so that as your children imitate you, they will also be imitating Christ. For our Sunday school teachers, for our ministry leaders, for our youth workers, uh, for our, uh, if you're on a committee, follow Jesus closely because people are following you. Whether you want to, where you think yourself as a leader or not, people watch and they imitate and they follow those that they think should be followed. Uh, so imitate Christ as, so that as others imitate you, they are in turn imitating Christ. And so we see here, uh, an, an elder shouldn't be an elder because of uh, outward influence, the idea that they've been compelled to do it, they've been convinced or they've been kind of forced into a position. But also not because of inward pressure. Man, I, I'm gonna look good, I'm gonna have some control, I'm gonna get, finally start to get my way around here. These aren't the reasons that you should desire to lead, but it should be willingly, it should be um, eagerly, and it should be by example, not from an elevated position where you just point and, and command and people do as you say. You, you, you live out the example and, and let people follow the example. We love Christ first because he first loved us, but he also served us first. And that's why we serve.
But here's the, here's the cherry on top. We're talking about serving, we're talking about humbling ourselves, we're talking about uh, not taking advantage of the position that we have as leaders, but just serving others, following Jesus' example. And verse four says, and when the chief shepherd appears, all right, Peter already said in verse one, he's ready to partake in the glory that is going to be revealed. Well, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And you're like, well, I thought, Jeff, you just said, you know, you're not doing this for what you can get out of it. Well, we're not. But the scripture teaches that there is a crown of glory for those who would serve. Um, and this, uh, this, this reward extends to all believers. This is specifically talking to elders, but Paul would write about it in uh, 2 Timothy chapter four. He said, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which, is, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. That sounds like, okay, well, what, what is it, Paul? You were just, you, you, were, you, were, you were running the race, you, were, you fought it to the finish, you, you lived your life well because you wanted this reward. He says, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We, we, we don't serve him because we think, man, I'm gonna get rewarded for this later. But the reality is that there is a reward for those who serve him. It's not for us today, we'll never see it in this, we might see reward in this life, lots of times we don't. But one day when the chief shepherd appears, he sets all things right. And that will include rewarding those who have served him. We all have the opportunity to lead someone. These principles are true for all of us, specifically to the elders, yes, but to anyone who, uh, whether you have an official position of serving here at the House of Prayer or you just kind of show up when you can and do what you can, um, or you, you're, you actually don't have any role here within the church, but you have uh, you, you, your parents or you, are, you have friends, you have family, and you have the opportunity to leave them. The call is to serve. So I guess my question for us this morning is, how are we caring for one another until he returns? Are we, are we doing a good job with that? And I, I would like to say, we're doing a great job. We just, you know, the report of the families that we're serving, um, the, the, the deacons that we have, the elders that we have, the small group leaders that we have, the Bible study leaders, the, uh, those who, just, who show up for work days and those who help in the kitchen and those who are serving across the street. The scripture says there will be a reward for what we have done for our Savior. Not why we do it, but it is there. But how are we caring for one another until he returns? Jesus, Jesus cared for his disciples this way. Uh, the night before his crucifixion, Jesus shared one last meal with his disciples. We call it the Last Supper. Now, the meals in those days were not how how we would have a meal. If you were having, especially if you had company to your house or you were gathering with a group of friends, uh, you know, you get a table set, you get the dishes out, you have chairs around there. So you come in and sit down at these chairs. Well, in those days, the meal would be eaten uh, around a, like a very, if there was a table, it's a very low-lying table and maybe just sat on the ground or on cushions that were on the floor. And what that did was, um, 
one of the results of that is your feet were a lot closer to the food than the way we eat, right? If we keep our feet on the floor, you'd, be, you'd, uh, you'd have a fit if, uh, ladies, if your husband put his foot up on the table in the middle of the meal. But in those days, the feet were right close to the food. And so uh, what they would do is a servant would come and, and you would gather for the meal and after you know, a long day of dusty roads and working in the fields and uh, open-toed sandals, the feet were not probably the prettiest thing. So um, if, you, if you were a, a household of, of means, you would have a servant that would come and just and wash your feet. And one of the reasons was you were gonna sit down and have a meal and you didn't want those feet you know, right there beside the mashed potatoes when they were all grimy from being in the garden that day. So Jesus surprised them all that evening when he took the towel and he put the towel around his waist and he got down on his hands and knees and he washed the disciples' feet. And of course, uh, Peter always had something to say. And when, when uh, Jesus got around to Peter, Peter said to him, Jesus, you will never wash my feet. And of course, Jesus said, if I don't wash, your, if I don't wash you, you will have no share with me. And uh, so, of course, Peter let him wash his feet. And after Jesus had gone around and washed all the disciples' feet, Jesus was really the guest of honor, even the host. I guess you could be considered the guest of honor or the host. It was, wasn't at Jesus' home. And there he was, by example, washing their feet. And in verse 12 of John chapter 13, it says, when, when Jesus had washed their feet, put back on his outer garments, resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Jesus had the position of authority. He was the rabbi. He was the one being followed. He was the one being catered to. He was the one being looked up to. And he had all of heaven's power and authority. He says this to him. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus had all the authority and all the power, and he, he took off his outer garment, he put on the towel, he got down on his hands and, knee, hands and knees, and he served his disciples. And this is the role of leadership in the church. Not to sit in a chair and give instructions, but to, to get out among the people and to serve. This is the role of uh, our Sunday school teachers. This is the role of our small group leaders. And you guys, and I, I know our Sunday school teachers and our small group leaders, and you guys do a great job of this. Not just, uh, no, uh, talk to me on Sunday, uh, we'll, we'll I'll be up front and you can raise your hand and ask a question. That's not what our Sunday school teach. That's not what they're about. They're, they are servants of God's people. This is, what, this is the call for leaders within our church, specifically for elders, but by application for all of us. And I think Peter had Jesus 
words in his mind as he was writing this letter, as he was writing these instructions to the elders, but also earlier in chapter two, when he wrote these words, for to this you have been called, because Christ suffered for you, after Jesus washed their feet that night, uh, they continued in discussion, they had the meal, and then he went and was crucified the next day. Christ suffered for you, leaving you as an example. Jesus said to him that night, follow my example, and the next day he was on the cross. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So in the game of life, if you want to take a turn in being the leader, it's not about eloquence, it's not about who's the most inspirational, it's not about who's got the best personality, it's not about who uh, can... um, can gather the most people to follow them, convince the most people that they're right. Uh, It's not the one who has the most talents and abilities. It's the one who's willing to lay down their life and to serve. And that's what we've been called to. If we want to be great in the kingdom of God, we'll be the least. We'll just be a servant, leading by example, following Christ's example so that others can follow our example and find Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you for these uh, words of encouragement to us this morning. Um, it, it's, a, it, it's not a small thing. Uh, these aren't small instructions. These are instructions for, for all of us, yes, but specifically to our leaders. Uh, the idea that our leaders should be uh, serving willingly, eagerly, setting the example not being, uh, not domineering, not looking out for uh, how they can gain, not, um, not being selfish about their positions, but just willingly giving of themselves because you first gave yourself for us. Lord, thank you for setting that example for us uh, in your word and uh, by the way that you lived your lives. And Lord, I pray that within this congregation, you would be continually rising up Uh, new leaders, leaders that would say, yes, I want to be involved in the cause of Christ. I want to uh, serve the Lord. And and, uh, if that's you this morning, uh, you want to take that next step of becoming involved, uh, you can uh, come look for for a pastor this morning and say, I want to get involved in the church. Call the church office in the morning. Uh, If you've uh, got conviction on on how you've been living your life, uh, maybe holding a position but not with a willing spirit and not uh, wanting to serve eagerly, Frank and and Jane Combs will be uh, just glad to pray with you after the service. Lord, would you just uh, convict us where we've been wrong? Uh, But Lord, would would you do through your Holy Spirit give us the boldness and the courage to Uh, to fulfill the roles that you have for us. You have good works that you planned in advance for each one of us to do, Lord. Give us the courage to do those things for you this week. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.